You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Okay, am I on? Yes, all right. Good morning. I'm Greg Arthur. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am happy to see you all here today in the week between Christmas and New Year's when everyone's gone and everything's shut down. It's amazing, actually, when I think about it, that anyone this morning, on the day after Christmas, ever gets up, (laughs) gets dressed all fine as you all look today, goes out in the cold and the rain to church. And so my hat's off to you. Uh, You're the well-dressed, faithful remnant. (laughs) And I'm glad you're here. All right, today, here at the end of this anxious year, I would like to look at what the Lord who loves us, says in his word on how to have peace of mind in these times, in the midst of this turmoil, in this world, in this life, with these anxious minds of ours. Today's message is from Isaiah 26, where the Lord who loves us says to you and me today in his word, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, I love God's Word. That's my only single qualification to be up here, is that I just love His Word. I'm also a big fan of memorizing His Word, like this verse, so that God can speak to us anytime, wherever we are, just what we need to hear, because it's in our mind, and then He can bring it to our memory. So I want you to say it with me. Are you ready? You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. I've entitled this message, Peace Through Focus, because it seems good to me to end an anxious year with the antidote for anxiety, which is this promise. For the Christian life is nothing less than becoming like Jesus, who was not anxious. Rather, Jesus was at perfect peace with his Father's plan to save the whole fallen world through his death, defeating sin, and his resurrection, defeating death, and the gift of his Holy Spirit, defeating fear. So this is a glorious promise, really, about perfect peace. Okay, let's say it again. You, keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. As we look intently at his word tonight, today, I'm going to pose these four questions about this promise that perfect peace comes through focus on Jesus. The first question is, why are we anxious and why does it matter? The second is, what does the Lord who loves us do about it? The third, what does the Lord who loves us say for us to do to have his perfect peace? And finally, why should we believe him and do as he says? There you have it, the end of the anxious year, the problem, the solution, the plan and the motivation. All right, would you pray with me as we start? My Lord Jesus, please, I ask you that you give me the right words to say and the ability to say it, and you give us all ears to hear what you want to say and minds to comprehend what you have to say and hearts to obey what you have to say. My Lord, we ask you these things so that we might know you better and love you more. In your name we pray, amen. All right, first the problem, are we anxious? The fact that the Lord makes this promise of perfect peace implies that we are. 
And besides that, we all know it anyway. The bigger question is why? Why are we anxious and why does it matter? Here's a reason. We live in an age of anxiety, do we not? Is it not true that there's a constant hum of fear in the air? Isn't there a constant stream of doom coming right to our phones, right to our hands, brought right to our attention? Aren't we fed constant dire warnings about financial collapse and climate change and censorship and war and persecution and police and crime, not to mention COVID all day and every day? A recent headline read, quote, next global pandemic could be 100 times worse than COVID. The spirit of the age is anxiety. It's no wonder that two-thirds of Americans were, quote, extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families, and more than a third are more anxious overall than last year, according to the American Psychiatric Association, and that one in five adults have an anxiety disorder, according to the National Institute of Health. With anxiety everywhere, where can we find peace of mind? Here's another reason why we're anxious. We live in an age of anxiety, and tech makes it worse. A mental health study that was started in the 1970s shows that rates of anxiety and depression in high school and college-aged students skyrocketed in the last decade. After 40 years of steady low rates, and the rise being strongly tied to the use of cell phones, just how social media and tech cause anxiety is widely known, actually. The social isol isolation, the addictiveness, the secrecy, the illicit content, the social, soul-crushing comparisons that happen on it. Moreover, disorders that used to be rare now become very commonplace through social media, especially in young women to such a degree that whole classes of disorders are now called social contagions. Social contagions, an idea spreads through everybody through social media. And, it, and then you add in the pandemic, which amplifies everything. Just this month, the Surgeon General issued a public health advisory on the mental health crisis facing our youth. And he said it was caused partly to rising tech use because of the pandemic. Tech is everywhere. Our kids can't escape it. Where can they find peace of mind? And now here's the real reason why we're anxious. We live in an age of anxiety, but external turmoil can't hold a candle to the internal fears that we have. As the old folk song says, I've been walking in my sleep, counting troubles instead of counting sheep. The list of troubles is long, but according to the scriptures, they come from a single root, the fear of death. The Bible says it this way about our Savior, who, quote, freed those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. It's from this fear of death that all of our lesser fears arise, of condemnation, of not belonging, of failure and loneliness, of futility and emptiness, of poverty and illness, our fears of wayward kids and failed marriages. Now, one of mine was the fear of public failure, of which I'm experiencing right now. <laughs> you might not believe it, but I was decent for New Mexico, a decent basketball player for New Mexico <laughs> in high school. 
making the team but riding the bench. And my coach told my dad, he's the best player in practice. In practice. But in a game, I became an ice sculpture, frozen by fear of public failure in front of my school and my parents and especially my coach. One time, I missed a layup in a, in a game, open layup, and missed it. And I looked over, and my coach took his clipboard, and he slammed it to the ground. <laughs> he was that mad. That same anxiety, and some that are darker than that still, still lurk in my mind, and maybe in yours too. And the source is the fear of death. It's as Paul wrote in his about his unfinished self, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, who will give me, who will give you, who will give our kids the peace of mind that we need in this life to face without fear death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, what's the antidote? What did the Lord who loves us do about it? Why would the Lord promise this? Here's a reason. Have you ever noticed that we can't carry anxiety? No one can. No one has except Jesus. We're not meant to. He was meant to. We were not meant to walk through life in fear, living by sight in the darkness of this sick, sin, fallen world. Rather, we were meant to live by faith in Jesus who said of himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. And he also said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. For Jesus knows that we can't live this life in fear. That fear eats us alive. That fear justifies sin in our troubled minds. That fear steals our joy of salvation. That fear is the opposite of faith. So Jesus carries it all for us. All the turmoil, all the sin, all the judgment, all the death, all the fears of this fallen world. And then the Lord who loves us because he has overcome the world commands us hundreds of times in the Bible saying, therefore, do not be anxious about your life and do not be anxious about tomorrow and fear not and do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid and cast your anxieties upon them and be anxious for nothing. Fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible. On top of that, Jesus demonstrates his power to overcome the world. He commands us to fear not because he says he's overcome the world. And then he demonstrates his power to overcome the world. For example, you might remember when Jesus was sleeping on a boat while his disciples feared for their lives in a storm. He said to them when they're on one side of the lake, he said, let's go over to the other side. But there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. <laughs> And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very, very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this indeed who overcomes the world, who is both calm in the storm 
and, the, and who calms the storm, who says fear comes from a lack of faith in him to overcome the world. The Lord who loves us is very clear. He carries our fears and demonstrates his power, and then he commands us to trust him and, quote, be anxious for nothing by casting all our anxieties upon him. I've found it a great way to hear God's commands, like cast all your anxieties upon him, is to assume obedience and ask how to do it. So how do we be anxious for nothing? How do we cast all our anxieties upon him? I think this is why this verse today is so great, to learn and know. Into our lives with storms that are raging on the outside, all around us, and especially on the inside within us, the Lord who loves us says this is how to become like him. You, the Lord God Almighty with all power and all authority, with, who rules all of creation, you keep, sustain, with preserve, do all the work to maintain him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed, set, focused on you because he trusts, believes, seeks, depends on, takes refuge, has faith, trusts in you. All right, let's say it, say it with me one more time because this is the goal. We're going to know this verse. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's an amazing promise of how to have the Lord's perfect peace of mind through focus in him. Peace through focus. But what is peace? Peace is not just the absence of anxiety. People often feel just fine doing bad things or meaningless things. And peace is not just the absence of external strife. For example, the idea of peace through strength and the idea of peace through justice, two complementary ways of ordering society are both largely true, but people are anxious anyway in both well-ordered and poorly ordered societies. The absence of Strife is not nearly enough. No, the kind of peace we're looking at today is what we call peace of mind. We would call it peace of mind. That deeper inner peace of a satisfied heart. It's that kind of peace, the inner peace of a satisfied heart from which all other forms of peace can arise, like peace through strength or peace through justice. It says the Bible says, this is from James, you are envious internally. And cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel externally. In other words, outward turmoil comes from inward dissatisfaction. And by the same token, outward peace must first arise from inward satisfaction. This verse calls inward satisfaction shalom. That's the Hebrew word that it uses, which is usually translated as peace. However, shalom is not just peaceful absence of inner turmoil. Shalom, I think, can best be understood to be the peace that only the Lord can give. Shalom conveys this deeper, inner, satisfied peace that comes from completeness and redemption and wholeness in God, from soundness and well-being and healing by God, from contentment and satisfaction and tranquility from God from the reconciliation of our sinful selves, perfect reconciliation to our perfect Lord who loves us. Shalom is this deep, inner, satisfied peace that comes from when we experience God's presence with us and see and feel his good pleasure in us. 
Shalom is nothing less than the felt, felt presence of God. The city of David is named Jerusalem. And the wisest man of all was named King Shalomon. The ancient blessing first spoken by Moses and Aaron over the people was this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, completeness, healing, redemption. In the Psalms, King David, who God declared to be a man after his own heart, wrote this, O Lord, you put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In shalom, in satisfaction by your presence, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And Jesus himself is called the Prince of Shalom in Isaiah. And Jesus gives us shalom through his Holy Spirit presence living with us and in us. He said this, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So shalom's a gift. Christ himself says that he gives this shalom, the satisfied shalom of one who has overcome the world, the deep inner shalom of the satisfaction we have in his presence, the peace of mind that he keeps in us regardless of what we face in this life, in this world with these troubles all around us, that satisfied, deeper, inner peace of mind we experience in the strong care of the Lord who loves us, who says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That kind of strength of care. And to drive home the point, Christ himself gives us not just peace, but perfect peace. The, the verse that we're looking at actually says, Shalom, Shalom. You keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Shalom, shalom, perfect peace of mind. Isn't that exactly what we need in this life? So how do we find perfect peace of mind in this age of anxiety? The passage says by being someone whose mind is stayed on the Lord. This means it's a conditional promise. Like many of God's promises are, it's conditional. God does his part as we do our part. God's salvation in this life through our faith. God's healing in this life through our prayer. God's sanctification in this life through our hearing of his word. And this promise is just like those. To be kept in his perfect peace, we have to focus our attention on the Lord to stay our minds on him. But do we do that? What do we stay our minds on? What do we focus our attention on? Where? in our minds do we usually park the bus? <laughs> There's an old gospel song called, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. It doesn't say, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on CNN, or stayed on Netflix, or stayed on politics, or stayed on sports, or stayed on video games, or stayed on social media, or stayed on my problems, or stayed on my people, or stayed on my job, or especially, stayed on myself. Moreover, this verse stayed, in this verse stayed means stayed, not once in a while or when I'm in trouble or when I feel like it. This great promise of the Lord keeping us in his perfect peace of mind is conditional on our 
keeping our minds stayed on him, which is what we would do whenever we trust in him. So it comes down to this. The more we trust in him, the more our minds are stayed on him, the more the Lord keeps us in perfect peace. In fact, wherever in life we trust the Lord, wherever in life we stay our minds on him, we will have perfect peace of mind. If we trust Jesus for our sin and death and stay our minds on his salvation and, and eternal life, we will have perfect peace about our future. If we trust Jesus for our identity and our worth and stay our minds on what the Lord says pleases him, we will have perfect peace of mind about who we are. If we trust Jesus for our relationships and stay our minds on his ways and his truth, we will have perfect peace of mind about those who we love. And if we trust Jesus for our life and stay our minds on his sovereign rule of our life, we will have perfect peace of mind about our finances, on our health, about getting older, and everything else that goes on in this fallen world. However, the more our minds are stayed on something other than the Lord, because we trust in something else, like ourselves, or humanity, or money, or entertainment for the satisfaction in this life, the more our minds will be in anxiety, and in distress, and in lifelong bondage to the fear of death. For what we think about determines our state of mind. All right, here's the verse again. Ready? You keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. To stay our minds on the Lord, how do we do it? How do we trust him more? How do we fill our minds with the Lord? And uh, we probably all know how. But one way might be to clear the decks and cut back on the distractions in life. In less internet, less entertainment, less news, clearer boundaries around work, and instead increase the disciplines, more contemplation, more patience with boredom, more Bible reading, more Bible memory, more praying. We used to say in the old Bible study I was in that every lesson was read the Bible more and pray more. And, and that the point of that is, is that that stays your mind on Jesus. A recent study looked at what family practices were common in the young adults who after college had a vibrant faith. You know, lots of kids go to college and lose their faith. But they looked at the ones that, that had vibrant faith leaving college, and they asked, what family practices did you grow up in? The study found that the top factor by far was Bible reading. Top, by far. The next three were regular prayer, service in the church, and listening to Christian music. All of these practices and many more, and you probably know many of them, which you can think of, they work together to fill our minds with the Lord, to help us stay our minds on Jesus. They keep our attention focused on the Lord to keep our minds stayed on Him, and thereby we obtain this gift that He gives us of perfect peace of mind. These practices are really just skills to learn. It's as Paul says in his scriptures, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. They're skills. We learn them. And we will learn anything. We will learn to do anything if we're motivated enough. Is that not right? I mean, if you really wanted to cook some wonderful food, you'd go to cooking school and, I mean, you'd do anything for it. With the right conviction, we would make all these skills, New Year's resolutions tomorrow, and begin to have perfect peace of mind by February. 
but back in reality, usually we don't keep resolutions, and there's two reasons. First, skills are hard to learn and take time and perseverance to master, and uh, we don't like that. And second, because of that, what we need really is motivation, motivation to do it. In Bible words, we need a changed heart, for we will do what we love. So when the Lord says perfect peace of mind comes through focus on Him, the question to ask is, what motivates us to do as He says to do? What could change our heart? And I think there's just one motivation to do what the Lord says to do, and it is this. The Lord who loves us, loves us. He loves us. He longs for us. He longs to be with us, to speak together, to live together, to belong together. He wants us to be with Him, to work together, to love the world together, to seek the lost together. He comes to us. We don't go to Him. He comes to us. He's quick to forgive. He dies for us. He saves us by grace. He credits our little tiny spark of faith as perfect righteousness so that we can be together with the Holy God. He gives us eternal life. He gives us a reborn spirit. He gives us His Holy Spirit to live with us and be in us. His Spirit and ours together in us right from the moment when we first believed in Christ. So we're always in His presence. We always have His companionship. We always have His guardianship. We always are in close communication. I, I often just, my mind is often in constant prayer in this way. It's just me talking to God as my dialogue partner. Lord, what should I do? What's that over there? What's the next thing? What does that mean? I don't understand that. Lord, just Lord is my dialogue partner. We're always in close communication because He dwells in me. We're always in partnership. We're never alone. We're never forsaken. We're never on our own. He loves us so much that He brings us to Himself together forever. Together forever or forever together. If it's, that sounds like a love song, together forever, well, it's because it is. It is a love song. For the Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you. If anyone loves me, these are the lyrics to this love song. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I will be your God and you shall be my people. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed, kept forever, preserved with the promised Holy Spirit. It's his love that cracks through our frozen hearts. And when we know deep down and for good that the Lord who loves us, loves us, then out of love for him, we'll we will learn to do what he says to do. That's the only motivation that actually motivates he, the Lord who loves us, loves us. And when we love him back, we want to please him and do what he says. Now, if perfect peace of mind is something you need but don't have, and you haven't yet trusted in the Lord for your salvation from sin and death and from the fear of death, you can. You can just ask him into your heart now. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved forgiven, saved, redeemed, together forever. All right, I'd like to end 
by telling you about this man, Wendell Smith, who worked where I worked at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for 40 years. If there was anyone who embodied this verse today, it was Wendell. I was trying to think who embodied this verse. It's not me, but I, he did. My son Noah said about Wendell that if he lived in the first century, he would have been in the Bible. <laughs> he was of good cheer. He was always calm in the storm. He was openly, overtly Christian and a spiritual father to me, even in the face, even in the face of open hostility. For EPA was filled with scientists and engineers and with their objections to Christianity and with public policy experts and their objections to the church. And because our office was in San Francisco, gay scientists and engineers who came from all over, all over their countries and their objections as well. One was my wonderful friend, Angel Frank Laguna. He called himself Frank. He didn't like the name Angel. When I was hired in the water division, the people there, the, my bosses and all, they loved my youthful enthusiasm so much, they named me Wonder Boy. And when Frank was hired the next year, they named him Boy Wonder. And for years, Frank and I worked together. We often ate lunch together like good friends do. Wonder Boy and Boy Wonder. Anyway, Wendell, back to Wendell. Wendell's mind was so filled with God's Word that he always said the right thing and did the right thing, and did the right thing, and always at the right time. If there was anyone who could be said his mind was stayed on Jesus, it was Wendell, and it showed. He and his wife adopted kids. He worked on water quality issues for tribal lands. He was the union rep and the leader of the African American Employees Association, and when EPA, the leadership at EPA, would not let a little Bible study of ours meet in the building, he calmly with the Lord's perfect peace, claimed that would be a weekly meeting of the African American Employees Council. And we met in their conference room. He came to our gospel music concerts. He would share with me in casual conversation what he had learned in the Word that week. If there was anyone who trusted in Christ always in this fallen world, it was Wendell. Once a bright, promising engineer began to show up disheveled and late every day, and Wendell, who prayed continually, went over to her in the middle of the day and said, come with me now. And it was to a, to a drug rehab center that he had already made arrangements with. He said, come with me now or die. And in tears she went. Another time when um, Frank was dying of AIDS, we all heard that he had just a few weeks to live. And Frank was beloved. So everyone went to say goodbye at his house, where half the gay community at EPA was camped out. And then Lori and I, when Lori and I went, all I could say to him was, I'll see you again, to which he just nodded. But when Wendell showed up, there was a murmur of, why are you here? You're not, you're not welcome here. For he was a known Christian, and he was not that close to Frank. But when Frank woke up, Wendell walked right into his room, and he explained the gospel to him. The people around were angry about it, and they wanted to kick Wendell out. But Frank had ears to hear and wanted to keep hearing 
So Wendell told Frank about our Savior, who loves him with forgiveness and longing, and who has overcome this world. And Wendell prayed with him, and Frank received his salvation right there, just a week before he died. Wendell, whom the Lord kept in perfect peace because his mind was stayed on Jesus at the right time and in the right way, in the face of hostility, introduced Frank to the Lord. And the Lord saved him, taking away all his sin and all of his fear of death. And at the end of the week, Jesus walked angel into heaven. Thanks be to God through our Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, I hope this verse never leaves your mind. All right, so one last time. Let's say it together. And this time, because we mean it, you keep in perfect peace him whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. All right, would you pray with me, please? My Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for longing to be together with us every step of the way in this life, for making us the temple of the Holy Spirit through your Son, and for helping us live a life that is focused on you. May we have your shalom, shalom today, and forevermore. Amen.